0: Everyone, I'm delighted to have um, my good friend, Con Hurley, uh, as guest of Economics Matters, the podcast. I thought it would be uh, that it's important for us to do an update on the uh, uh, financial crisis, the banking crisis that is here again, now again, here again, uh, on and off. And uh, today it seems to be back a bit. Uh, But I thought it was important enough to um, uh, grab Khan, who's really an expert on these matters uh, to talk to, even though he's only like two days out from having a hip replacement. (laughs) So I said, that's no excuse. He's on drugs, he tells Uh, me. So um, we're not uh, supposed to take anything too literally. he says. But even Khan on drugs is a lot better than anybody on uh, on this topic. Who's uh, sober? <laughs> so, Larry, <laughs> well,
1: Larry. you you just committed two uh, HIPAA violations. No, no pun intended, there, Larry. So uh, you'll be forgiven for that.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, thank you. Sorry, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I'm glad you're you're doing well. And uh, thank you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, under this under these circumstances. So let me just tell everybody about. Uh, Khan's background. Uh, Professor uh, Con- Cornelius uh, K. Hurley uh, has over 30 years of diversified legal and entrepreneurial management experience in financial services. He is a director of a computer share trust company. Uh, he's a former director of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Boston. Uh, he's uh, Khan has uh, established the uh, Boston office of the Secura Group in what uh, which is located in uh, washington dc he formerly was uh, general counsel of shalmut corporation and assistant general counsel of the board of board of governors of the federal reserve system so that's the the mothership um uh general counsel uh, assistant general counsel of the uh, federal reserve is a big deal and uh so uh you don't get to that position easily. He's a, uh, Khan's very active in the American Bar Association. Uh, he's a, a, a faculty member of banking law, basics uh, banking law Two, consumer financial services basics um, and investment management basics, all institutes conducted jointly by the Marin Center uh, and the American Bar Association. He, I'm. You, are you currently teaching your banking structure and regulation? Yes,
1: courses? yes, yes. Yeah, we call it we call it uh, financial crisis to fintech now. Everything okay. has to be modernized,
0: and that's uh, you're teaching that at BU or at BU. Is, yeah, it's still PD. Okay, uh, uh, Khan also uh, serves as a reporter of the American Bar Association's task force on financial markets regulatory reform. Uh, he uh, has run many a uh, very interesting uh, seminar and conference at bu with major leaders uh in the financial um, arena regula- regulators and uh, um people in the actual industry uh, he's brought them together to discuss uh, financial regulation so he's a real expert and uh you know, just today, I was talking to Tom earlier today to talk, you know, prepare for this webinar as well. Sorry, as a podcast. And as I pulled up the, um, I guess, CNN just to see what was going on, learned that uh, S&P, Standards and Poor's, had just downgraded five banks, uh, five mid-sized banks, uh, just literally two minutes before we hopped on the phone to talk. Um, let me stop here, Con, and uh, ask you to give us a give us a kind of your background. How you, uh, where you were born, and how you went from where you were born to <laughs> your entire career, uh, ending up uh, being, you know, basically at su- such a high level on the federal reserve. Go ahead. Well, my,
1: uh, my thank you, Larry. My apologies to your audience for having to sit through all of that. Um, uh, well, I was born as a very small child um and uh where where I got into financial services uh was has a lot to do with uh, lemon meringue pie actually uh when I was a law student at georgetown Law School in Washington back in nineteen seventy four i guess it was I had friends that worked at the federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve, as you know is uh independent it's not a appropriations agency it's it's it runs itself probably returns to the government every year, hundreds of billions of dollars. Anyway, um, it had a wonderful cafeteria as a result, and, and they had outstanding lemon meringue pie. So I used to make a point of going there uh, every uh, Friday afternoon that I could to visit with my friends. And one afternoon when I was over there for friends and lemon meringue pie, I... Uh, my friend told me that they were inter- interviewing for positions in the legal division. And um I interviewed and I got the job and here I am today. So that's <laughs> uh,
0: now what year were you uh what year were you having the lemon meringue pie at the Fed? Pardon me, where was I? What year was that? Uh that was 1974. Yeah. Okay. I was having lemon meringue pie there like two years later. I was an intern. Oh, okay. so All right. uh, Well,
1: those were in the uh, very much simpler days, but before the Fed owned the world, as they do today, Um, and the the Fed complex, uh, the buildings and so growth has just been enormous since then, um, as reflected in the Fed's balance sheet.
2: Want more money, less risk, and a better life? Buy Money Magic, a new book by Lawrence Kotlikoff, Boston University economist, personal finance expert, and best-selling author. Whether it's education, career, marriage, housing, investing, retirement, social security, IRA, or 401k decisions, Money Magic delivers scores of secrets to raise your living standard. Financial journalist Jane Bryant Quinn says, Money Magic is a must-read. Nobel laureate George Akerlof says Money Magic is quite probably the best financial advice book ever written. Financial guru John Malden says you'll love this amazing book. It's full of wit, wisdom and startling paths to a better financial life. And columnist Scott Burns calls Money Magic a funny, brilliant read, offering wildly powerful, unconventional choices that can literally change your life. Get Lawrence Kotlikoff's Money Magic today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent booksellers.
0: Yeah, the ownership of the world is, you know, uh, it's also kind of this financial um, uh, connection and uh, support the Fed has been providing to global banks, private banks, as well as uh, central banks. Uh, So it really kind of, Owns or interact or kind of con- controls the financial system globally. Yeah, uh, I recall yeah. that the first check uh, that uh, occurred under uh, the TARP bailout was sent to a French bank uh, to to pay off a uh, to help them pay off a loan that they owed to Goldman Sachs. Sure, so The French bank would not go under. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about what's going on. Uh, Maybe you want to kind of summarize your view of what's been going on since March. You said 13th is when Silicon Valley bank... Yeah, my
1: my recollection is that uh, Silicon Valley went first. Actually, if you want to back up a little bit, uh, kind of the sequence of uh, freaky, freaky events that led to ultimately the demise of Credit Suisse, you have to recall. That uh, a GSIB went down in this process, which is amazing. But there was a small bank in California named uh, Silvergate Bank, and it was a a crypto only bank, and um, it ran into trouble in late uh, '22, and uh, news of its uh, being in troubled condition. It was very small. It wasn't. It wouldn't. In normal circumstances, it wouldn't have attracted much attention at all, um, uh, but 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 for the fact that it was revealed at almost the eleventh hour that it was, it was being propped up uh, by the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, which is a uh, a giant one point six trillion dollar enterprise that uh, we can talk talk about later in greater detail. Uh, but it was that whole system of home loan banks was created to stimulate and support housing back in the 1930s. But here it was in the 2022, stimulating and supporting crypto banking. And when that was revealed, it it, uh, it was a shock to many people because my God, uh, how could this system created for home loans uh, have gone so off the rails. It was that it was supporting crypto, and then of course the bank failed just a few weeks later. So <clears throat> that was in I think uh, either late February or early March. <clears throat> Along comes uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and um, people were uh, already a little bit nervous about uh, the banks in general, uh, and it it uh, decided because um, uh, it was in some trouble. It had a run on deposits um, and its um, assets were largely in uh, government securities. Uh, It figured that, oh, okay, we'll just liquidate some of those securities. We'll raise a modest amount of capital uh, and we'll be okay. Well, They did liquidate some securities, but they were unable to raise any additional capital because the at at that moment in time, uh, the market was spooked um, largely by this Silvergate bank that had just gone down. So they were they were then in deep trouble. And then then when that word got out. Let
0: me just interject for people that aren't, you know, expert in this lingo that raising capital means selling shares of stock. To bring in extra money that you can then invest, that's right. and potentially you know have as kind of or putting in cash, just have as in cash to pay out depositors if they try and take off yeah. because yeah. you have to pay on deposits, so you don't want to go under, not be able. to- Yeah, that's right. Depositors. Capital serves
1: as the buffer between uh, you, depositors, and other creditors, and failure. Right. So right. they were they were unable to raise capital. And then um, other depositors uh, freaked out, and uh, I think I think it was within thirty six or forty eight hours, forty two billion dollars, forty two billion dollars on on a two hundred billion dollar bank exited. And I, th- I think the, the the remarkable thing about that was, and this is this is uh, um, I, I I can't wait to read the histories of this as they are written in years to come. Maybe Larry will write them. But um, you know, we think of uh, bank runs in terms of uh, uh, George Bailey's Savings and Loan and people uh, jammed up in the lobby wanting to get their money out. This this was that, but on steroids. Steroids. It was it was people uh, not in the lobby, but people withdrawing their funds online and doing it in a nanosecond. You know, it was and and they were sending it. Uh, <clears throat> to all all kinds of other places, uh, two in particular. One was money market mutual funds, particularly government money market mutual funds, and uh, Larry can tell you more about those, but also to um, the banks that are considered too big to fail, those uh, what uh, are commonly referred to as GSIBs, go- government subsist- government uh su- substantially I forget the government systemically systemically System- important banks government systemically yeah. important thanks Larry so uh and that 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 just happened like um virtually overnight um and then it, it was revealed that that bank the Silicon Valley Bank itself uh owed 15 billion dollars to the same Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, right? Um, because it had uh, used it as a funding source uh, for depositors when they were withdrawing, in, until that ran out of uh, uh, supply.
0: So they were borrowing from the looked, federal bank to from the Federal Home Loans Bank. To make money, to pay money going out the door. Yeah. Yes, right.
1: yes, right. Exactly. They, they, that was the first line of defense when the depositors started to flee was they borrowed from their home loan bank. And we can uh, get into the mechanics of that if you wish. Um, so <clears throat> uh, naturally, when there's a, a crisis like this in one bank, people, people look over the over the parapet, and they say, geez, what other banks are out there that look similar to that? Well, there was a bank in New York um, that uh, named Signature Bank, uh, footnote, one of the directors of Signature Bank was a gentleman by the name of Barney Frank. Uh, you may have heard of him from Dodd-Frank fame. Uh,
0: anyway, signature Bank. And by the way, let me just interject, Dodd. So, when we had the last financial crisis, the Great Financial Crisis of a part of the Great Recession, Dodd uh, Barney Frank was the head of the Financial Services uh, Committee of I mean, the House, yes. and right. uh, and uh, Dodd Chris Dodd was the head of the, what, the Senate Banking Committee,
1: Banking and Housing Committee in the Senate. Housing, yeah. Yeah.
0: So the two of them put together a piece of legislation called the Dodd-Frank bill that was supposed to make sure that this never happened again, that we never had another financial crisis. And the yes. reason we're in this podcast is because I suspect, and I think Khan agrees, that this could be the beginning of another great financial crisis, uh, that, uh, or at least you know, very similar to what we saw in the SNL crisis, which was a huge financial crisis that Took place over nine years, actually didn't didn't take take place over eighteen months or so, as the great financial crisis did, but but it was a huge banking crisis, and we're we're really discussing today the background to what may be uh, another great financial crisis that could bring down the economy, yeah. just like what happened in, in the Great Recession. But, yeah. but fire away here. Keep going.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, 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 Silicon Valley's uh, bank fails, and uh, that's. I think that's like on a Thursday or a Friday. Uh, but there's this other bank in New York, Signature Bank, which uh, is is a, also a crypto bank, not exclusively a crypto bank like the aforementioned Silvergate Bank was, but it, it is definitely. Uh, cast its lot in the crypto industry. So it was also in the sphere of uh, suspicion. It also, turns out, had, uh, I think the number is about $10 billion in advances from its home loan bank, federal home loan bank in New York. And it had a portfolio of assets that very much mirrored um, Silicon Valleys and its depositors freaked out and began to withdraw money and it was not able, able to raise funds immediately so on a Sunday, I think that was March 12th <coughs> um, the uh, th- that bank was closed so here you had two banks closed uh, large banks um, two of the largest banks that had ever been handled by the FDIC. I think the only larger ones were Washington Mutual and Countrywide Bank, uh, maybe IndyMAC. Indy no, that IndyMAC wasn't as big back in the previous financial crisis. So everybody's freaking out.
0: What's... Um, so? And this is happening even though they had Barney Bank who had set up all these regulations and then he goes and catches into, cashes out of being, you know, running, being uh, the regulator of banks in the Congress. Really, the chief regulator in the House of Representatives. To selling out and becoming, in my language, selling out and taking money uh, as a director of, of this bank that uh, obviously was running, um, being run in a way that uh, was highly risky and was not going to be saved because of Dodd Frank. So. Just yeah, let's uh,
1: file that one under the irony uh, uh, irony file, I guess. <laughs> have it there.
0: Sure. But well, what, what is oh, yeah, yeah? Uh, and what it,
1: what what? The interesting thing in all of this is that um, you you have to keep your eye on a um, a line item on banks' balance sheet called uninsured depositors mm-hmm. and uninsured deposits. Yeah. You have insured deposits which are covered up to $250,000, largely retail, and those are safe, they're stable and whatnot. But the uninsured de- deposits, particularly uh, like Silicon Valley had, uh, can flee in an instant. They are uh, highly liquid. Uh, and uh, And previously, regulators and bankers viewed them as an indication of stability. Uh, now, with the with the learning from Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, we realize that these uninsured deposits are, in fact, a uh, a marker of instability. And uh, you, you may recall that the, uh, during those dark days in March of this year, not that long ago, um, the Treasury Department and the FDIC and Fed all got together and they declared summarily that all of the uninsured depositors at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank would be covered, would be covered, Uh, but only the uninsured depositors at those banks. Um, Well, you're talking about scores of billions of dollars of liabilities that are all with the stroke of a pen covered by the federal government in 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 an instant, right? Leaving the entire rest of the banking industry exposed. So the question at that time, and the question still unresolved, I think, for our system is, what is the status of that guarantee? Hold that question for just a minute, and we'll get to the next uh, leg of the stool, which is First Republic Bank.
0: So we we get through the let me just interject. Let me just interject a a factoid here, which is that at the time S B B went down, there was uh, uh, eighteen trillion dollars of deposits in Federal Deposit Insured Insurance Corporation banks, so banks that were uh, where the deposits. up to a certain level, two hundred fifty thousand were insured by the FDIC, right. and we have of the eighteen trillion dollars of deposits, only ten trillion were insured. The other eight trillion were uninsured. And so, what happened here is that the Fed, the FDIC, and the Treasury decide to insure just the uninsured deposits of these two banks uh, that were that failed, Signature and SVB. Telling, in effect, the rest of the uninsured, all the uninsured, the rest of this of the uninsured depositors who had money in all the other banks in the country, that maybe you wouldn't be insured if your yeah. bank had it. And in effect, they were inviting the other other bank, other. You know, if I've got more than two hundred fifty thousand in some middle-sized bank, and the Treasury Secretary is saying, "Well, we're not sure we're going." You're not systemically important. We may not come in to bail you out. Uh, that makes one very nervous to keep it the, yes. in
1: Larry, Larry, Larry's exactly right. Uh, so, so re- repeat again for me, Larry, Larry, at this moment in time, say March of 2023, what the amount of insured deposits is.
0: So, it's insured is 10 trillion. Uninsured at the beginning of all this was 8 trillion. So, 18 yeah. total. Okay. And then so, trillion, yeah. in the next couple, in the next month, one trillion leaves. I don't know how much is still there. Uh, yeah. You know, so, uh,
1: the, just in and round numbers, let's uh, uh, write that ten trillion dollar number down. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you the the balance in the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation Fund, the Deposit Insurance Fund of the FDIC, to cover that ten trillion dollars. It is approximately 28 billion dollars.
2: How financially secure do you feel? Imagine a tool to help you make smart financial decisions. A tool that factors in all your financial data and shows what you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. That tool is Maxify. Powerful, accurate, and easy to use. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify takes the guesswork out of financial decisions at every stage of life. Maxify calculates what you can afford to spend now and throughout retirement. And you can run what-if scenarios to see how your finances might change by taking a new job, buying a home, or downsizing. Knowing the impact before you decide lets you make smarter decisions so you can finally enjoy financial peace of mind. Are you ready? Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com.
1: So you have $28 billion propping up $10 trillion. And you, you can see that the this promise uh, that was communicated to the world by Treasury, the Fed, <coughs> and the FDIC... Was really a promise that if things grow really lousy here, uh, we, the Fed, are willing to lend the, the FDIC the difference between ten trillion dollars and twenty-eight billion dollars uh, on you or you, the taxpayers, dime. Yeah.
0: But yeah, and just to add to this uh, to, to story, would you know this, this scenario? If you had, uh, you know. They start with eight. There's eight trillion of uninsured deposits. Within about a month or so, a trillion leave. There's still. I just checked. About seven trillion of uninsured deposits still left in the banking system. If they all left tomorrow or tonight, today by by typing in a nanosecond, as we're having this conversation, if everybody's listening in, these bankers, if they were all to pull out, then you know a huge probably. Least half of the banking system would fail, probably uh you know, three thousand of the forty two hundred deposit insured banks would just go under, or maybe more. Uh, yeah, complete banking failure, and the and the only way that could be, and then all these insured depositors, where they're asking for the $10 trillion, they turn to the FDIC. The FDIC has $20 $28 billion left, and um consequently the Fed would have to print something like $10 trillion. Now, that would cause everybody to expect hyperinflation, which means that anybody, everybody would want to run and get their money out in order to go buy some uh, furniture from Ikea before prices <laughs> went crazy. So yeah. you can see we have basically uh, a promise uh, deposit insurance, which can, is not really for real mm. because they're trying to Ensure an aggregate risk. Insurance companies, as a group, can insure what we call a you know, syncratic risk. Your house burns down, his doesn't. Insurance company breaks even. But when you're trying to insure a macro risk, uh, that's a that's a gamble because you're really can't, you're promising to uh, making a promise you can't keep under certain circumstances, and we're now talking about a promise that can't be kept. So you know, as we're, as this is all happening, there's the potential here for the economy to flip and everybody, because something something else, you know, occurs. And maybe it's today's announcement by the S- S&P that they're, they've decided to downgrade. And then Moody two weeks ago decided to uh, downgrade, I think 10 banks, Moody's, and to tell everybody, uh, that there are five major banks including um northern trust state street corporation these are huge banks uh bank of new york mellon corporation a big bank where we live in the new New england area is citizens they were they were just uh uh part of the s p i believe i think they were part of the s p down well anyways yes uh, yeah, yeah no no they're part of the moody's Uh, shifting the outlook of 11 banks from stable to negative. So um, uh, Moody's and S&P have just uh, uh, put thumbs down on about 15 sizable banks. And then Moody's just uh, said that they're putting under review five, six major banks, including State Street Northern Trust Bank of New England, New York Mellon Corporation, which is one of the oldest banks in the country, uh US Bancorp uh so um you know it's kind of tr- trouble here in River City i would say
1: yeah yeah so the the government made in the uh, in the uh, silicon valley instance signature bank they made um wild promises to guarantee uninsured depositors um, which they prob- they did it to cure the to to settle the markets at the time, which were roiling and uh, as Larry points out, the promises are fine unless you cannot keep them. <clears throat> and, and on a macro level, it would be very difficult to keep them. But hey, um, up until this moment, moment in our economic history, the the Fed has been able to keep those promises that it had made, whether it was the Silicon Valley promises, or the, or the promises at the time that uh, Bear Stearns failed and AIG and all the rest Tarp. Um, but um anyways to return to the narrative uh, after these uh, two banks failed, failed and by the way eventually uh Silicon Valley Bank uh was taken over by uh First Citizens Bank uh, in North Carolina a much uh, smaller bank and uh, it, it had um, made a career of buying banks out of the FDIC. The FDIC will probably end up losing um, uh, 25 to $30 billion on the Silicon Valley receivership. Um, mind you, the balance of the deposit insurance fund is only $28 billion. So there's a lot of uh, catch-up that has to go on uh, with the banking industry because it's the banking industry – through premiums on its deposits that funds the Deposit Insurance Fund. Uh, and Signature Bank uh, was taken over by uh, um, Flagstar Bank, previous known as, known as Community Bank in New York. And, um, and uh, I, I don't know, I think the losses to the DIF, Deposit Insurance Fund, are in the neighborhood of $10 billion there eventually. But uh, in this moment in time, March of 2023, people again are looking over the parapets and uh, saying, hey, what but banks out there look like these? Uh, and the next one out there that looked like them w- was uh, First Republic uh, Bank, which is a $200 billion, $200 billion bank located in California, but with offices in Boston, the Boston area and uh and New York and Florida and the West Coast but largely on the coast it catered to wealthy individuals uh, whereas uh, Silicon Valley catered largely to uh, startups and venture capital firms and their clients and 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 for uh, a perilous uh, several weeks there uh, first Republic was dangling out and uh, out there trying to unload its assets, trying to raise capital, which it could not. And um, eventually it was um, uh, put into re- receivership um, by the California banking authorities and taken over by JP Morgan Chase, which created its own controversy because JP Morgan Chase, as we all know, is one of the G Sibs, the too big to fail banks. And people were scratching their said- heads and saying, hey, why are you uh, allowing one of the already too big to fail banks take over a large regional bank? That's no solution to the problem. Um, But from an FDIC standpoint, which is under a statutory mandate to achieve the least cost resolution, that is the least cost to the deposit insurance fund, they made the judgment that uh, the the uh, J.P. Morgan Chase bid was the better uh, of those. So, um, and then you, the, you had other banks, Pacific West, Western Alliance, others, maybe some of the ones that were on Larry's list. Oh, and by the way, I have to mention again, Republic Bank, um, First Republic Bank, when it failed, had... $28 billion that it owed to, guess who? The Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco. <laughs> um, so uh, you, you begin to see a trend here, and and this benign little government agency that people thought was just a uh, liquidity facility for banks to help them make mortgage loans ends up being a very pernicious... Lender of last, second, and last
0: resort to troubled banks, and they're they they're getting their money from the they're borrowing money from the federal from the treasury. From the treasury. No, they,
1: they they borrow their money largely okay. from uh, in the in the open market. Uh, the it, it's uh, money market mutual funds are the largest purchaser of their debt, but because they're a government-sponsored enterprise, they. Borrow at costs that just, that are just one or two basis points above what the treasury borrows at, right?
0: So this is now turning into like Fannie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that were nationalized yeah. right before Lehman failed in August yeah. of twenty fifteen. Right? Yeah, it's looking very similar, right? It's very
1: very similar. You'd have to be blind not to see the similarities going on here. Um, and uh and so now we have other banks like in you mentioned uh, a bank in our region citizens bank but Webster Bank um nope mm, and unless you heard of Webster Bank or in a community that has one of its branches it's a smallish bank um maybe 50 billion 70 billion in assets it 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 uh, is is borrowing 10 billion dollars from its federal home loan bank um And people are asking, myself included, over the last year or two, um, when a bank needs to raise money, it raises deposit rates, right? Or it sells CDs. You, you, You think of that as the way a bank would raise money. But when a bank has available to it a federally subsidized government facility like a home loan bank, And it can go into the market and raise subsidized funds, funds subsidized by you and I as potential depositors, at a cheaper rate. It's not going to raise its deposit rates. It's going to keep its deposit rates very, very low as they do. Only now, only now, as uh, the reverberations of Silicon Signature and First Republic Bank are being felt in the marketplace, are banks truly starting to raise their deposit rates. But I have to add the big big caveat to that is that the deposits that have been sucked out of the banking industry to the tune of a trillion dollars or more uh, have gone to two places. Number one is the money is the uh, Sibs, the too big to fail banks, the J.P. Morgan Chases of the world, Wells Fargo, Citi, et cetera, Bank of America. Those. The other half has gone to the money market mutual funds. All right. Mm-hmm. What have the money market mutual funds done? They've invested in the debt of the home loan banks. And, and what have the, the, what have the home you. loan banks done? They've loaned money to the banks. So we, we have this uh, uh, circulatory system here <laughs> that is going on, where one of the pieces of the plumbing, namely the home loan bank, doesn't make any sense. You know, it is it is a, a it is a competitor to the discount window of the Federal Reserve the lender of last resort. And people are beginning to ask themselves, do we really need two lenders of last resort? And the answer to that is obviously no, we don't.
0: Right, because the, um, I mean, they're putting, uh, they're they're borrowing from the public with this uh, basic guarantee from the taxpayers, so they're putting uh, all this liability, potential liability onto the public. Uh, so the money, uh, the, the uninsured depositors is leaving to, right. let's say, money market fund and because it wasn't insured and then it's going back in and it's being, in effect, um, uh, the taxpayers now taking over the insurance of, uh, taking over the responsibility of insuring these banks that are kind of uh, underwater, uh, indirectly. So yeah, yeah that, this is- that's, that's exactly
1: right. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you another part of the home loan bank story that will drive your um, audience crazy. The, the home loan banks, there are 11 of them throughout the country. Full disclosure, I used to be a director of one of the home loan banks. I was for 14 years. Um, and the, you can tell they're probably not too happy with me right now. But uh, these 11 banks uh, issue loans; they call them advances, and they they the ba- the brag the tote the, the big brag above about the home loan banks is we never made a loan that went bad in ninety years of lending to banks and others. Th- they never made a loan that went bad, and that's that's pretty impressive, right? On its face. But here's the tell. <laughs> In the case of every loan that they made that went bad, which is Silvergate, Silicon Signature, First Republic ever, ever going back forever, it's the FDIC that pays the bill. It's not the home loan bank. So they, they can say with some some credibility that they never lost a dollar on a loan. But it's a half-truth at best, because the the taxpayer, via the deposit insurance fund and the open-end line of credit that you and I have to the deposit insurance corporation, ends up paying the bill for their bad loans. So you have a circumstance where the president of the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, who Whose bank made all of these terrible loans? Not the not the New York loans at Signature, but the three others made all of these loans fifty billion dollars in, in 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 bad loans uh, would have sunk any other bank, right? But, but because of the the FDIC picking up uh, the 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 damage after they had made the loan, that they were not in trouble. She, the CEO, was fired two weeks ago as she was she was forced to take early retirement put it that way that's that hasn't hit the news that, that that that's public information it was reported by one trade association that that should have been um front page of the business section news that, uh, hey, that let me uh, ask you
0: you think that was the i mean uh who who forced her to be? Who fired her? Do you think it was the board that said? Well, um, or what do you think? It's the Treasury Secretary, in effect, or where's this um, coming from? I, I,
1: that's a, that's an excellent question. And, and had they published uh, the fact of, of her retirement, people would but would have been asking that question. I think personally, I think it was the regulator that forced the hand of the board, um, and. Uh, As a former regulator myself, I know that that's how those things usually go down.
0: Would this be a regulator inside the Treasury or inside the... The the home
1: loan banks are regulated by the same regulator as Fannie and Freddie, which are in conservatorship. Um, It's called the Federal Housing Finance Agency. And it's one one of those rare agencies that's headed by one person, Um. Just like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is headed by one person, um, so I'm, I'm going to guess that. Uh, I mean, and this is guessing on my part, but it's educated guessing that uh, they were forced to make this change.
0: So, so con, let's let's talk for a few more minutes before we uh, bring this to a close about where you where you see things going, and. Uh, uh, you know the FDIC is running out of money, so they're soon going to be in the having to borrow from the Fed. To uh, you know, if this continues, uh, yeah. more failures, uh, and it sounds like the um, home loan banks are going to have to. Those presidents are going to see the writing on the wall and say, "Forget it, we're not going to do any more of this." Yeah, and yeah. call their current loans. Yeah, uh, they could do that, right? There could be loans outstanding; they could be calling. They could. Conceivable, yeah. Not, not re, uh, yeah. Uh, re, reissue. So, um, do you, how how likely do you see uh, things melting down here?
1: Uh,
0: well, I, I, I
1: I'm not sure they are melting down so much now because the the government has taken certain actions. So, for example, um, two things: uh, the regulators have proposed. Um, a a significant change to the capital structure uh, of the, not just the GSIBs, but all the banks, uh, which will increase the cushion um, that they have in the event of failure. And that's, I think, helpful. They've also uh, increased the liquidity requirements. Um, They're making a lot of technical changes in the examination and supervision process as a result of the, it was a massive uh regulatory failure here too we, we can't um uh, uh fail mentioning that that's number one The capital requirements number two is the the fdic is raising uh the premiums on all deposits uh primarily the po- deposits at larger banks um th- th- so over time that will refurbish the federal deposit insurance fund and then and this is worth watching too <clears throat> um, a month from today or s- sometime within the month of September, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, the regular of the uh, uh, 11 home loan banks, is coming out with a very significant uh, report that she's been working on for a year. And uh, I-, I have to take uh, modestly some credit for her uh, launching that review because she said that it was my letter to her that prompted her to do it. Uh, and she will be announcing a, a comprehensive review in two parts. One is those changes that she can make by regulation, and then and then those changes that are, are require federal legislation. And uh, I've submitted extensive comments to her on that. Um, I think for one thing uh, that she could do by regulation Tomorrow, should she choose? Her name is Sandra Thompson, by the way. Is if the the I've chronicled these massive amounts of loans to these banks have failed. Um, the, the marketplace really didn't know in real time that the federal home loan banks were lending this amount of money to those banks. Had there been transparency at that time. And I'm talking time, I'm talking a year and a half ago, there would have been time for regulators, um, competitors, capital sources, all of these things to uh, be uh, aligned so that those banks did not fail. So, what I've suggested to her is that uh, just disclose uh, those banks that are uh, massively I've mentioned uh, uh, Webster Bank uh Santander bank in the new england area is borrowing massively from its home loan bank just disclose it uh, and let the markets and the public ask the question why, why are you borrowing so much from the home loan bank why aren't you paying more to me as a depositor <laughs> why, are you, why are you paying the home loan bank
2: question how financially secure do you feel do you have enough money to retire how much is enough and if you don't have enough How can you possibly find that money before you retire? Tough questions. One smart answer. Maxify. Maxify is the powerful online planning tool that takes the guesswork out of retirement. Maxify compares your assets against your fixed expenses to calculate how much you can safely spend every year for the rest of your life. And it shows you safe ways to find more money. Developed by Boston University economist Lawrence Kotlikoff, Maxify makes a complicated problem like retirement planning simple. Maxify. Powerful, accurate, easy to use. Want some peace of mind? Make the smart choice. Maxify. Visit Maxify.com today to start planning. That's Maxify with an I. -I -I. M-A-X-I-F-I. Maxify.com.
0: You know, if the government took that uh the re- regulators took that um position with respect to disclosure, they would have to disclose that over half of the FDIC banks are uh underwater bankrupt yeah. if you mark them to market as of today. Because if right. you go back right after Silicon Valley Bank failed, which was by the way, um those three banks that you mentioned, uh Northern, was it um uh what were the three big one? Three, one uh,
1: the failed. Yeah. Si- Silicon Valley signature and First
0: Republic. First Republic. Those were the yeah. second, third, and fourth largest failures yes. of time in the US in terms Amazing. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So these are big events. Um had and at the time, um finance professors, four finance professors uh, got together and did a forensic study of the ass value of the assets. And the liabilities of the um, 4,200 thousand uh, two hundred FDIC-insured banks in the country, uh, right now, uh, and then they reported that twenty-three hundred out of the forty-two hundred uh, were uh, on a mark-to-market basis bankrupt. Now, since then, the um, and this is largely as a result of their these banks. Uh, investing a lot of deposits in safe 10 year or so treasuries at low interest rates and then interest rates went up and the value of those assets went down. So the liabilities, their value didn't go down, the assets went down. So that's where they ended up going uh, effectively mark to market bankrupt. But then if you ask, well, has anything changed since uh, last March to make the value of those assets go back because the, the, the government is not letting these banks book these assets at book rather than at market. That's the original problem with SVB, that nobody realized that these that they had assets which which they were valuing here, but they were actually down here in terms of their market value. Yeah. Uh, is, is anything happened to make those um the market values go back up? Actually it's the reverse because the the ten year treasury uh interest rate has actually gone up since um uh these uh these banks uh since March the the current 10-year tre- treasury rate is is actually higher than uh, than back in March the uh, let me just give you those um uh, yeah, it's a somewhat higher uh rate I don't have the exact number but let me just uh, close this out here on a couple other uh, things that are worrisome with respect to the banks which is, the commercial um the value of commercial real estate we we've seen um first of all in general the the value of bank uh uh bank stocks the there's a KBV KBW index it, it was about uh, I think 135 a year ago now it's 80 um the um uh there's a, a commercial index fund, uh, Vanguard, which I think is uh, commercial real estate, like office, uh, uh, well, large, large part office properties has gone down from uh, 97 was the index value a year ago. It's now 80. Uh, and uh, the, um, yeah, the treasury, the short, the 10-year treasury rate, now I see the number here, it's now 4.3%. It was 3.7% last March when SB, SVB failed. So these banks on a mark-to-market basis are actually in much worse, in worse shape, if not much worse shape, because going from 3.7% up to 4.3%, uh, when you're now discounting at, a, at this higher rate and and compound interest comes into play here, um, their, their market values are even lower so, how do you see? Um, are you worried about a complete uh, meltdown uh, happening? Or, uh, yeah,
1: well, I worry about everything. <laughs> Forget this program, but uh, you know, I think I think that uh, precipitous de- decline in the uh, KBW index from one thirty five to eighty. I-, I think that bakes into a lot of the losses in the uh, CRE portfolio. Um, I don't. I can't. can't say for sure, um, but I do worry because um, we still have that this unanswered question created by Treasury back in March when they threw a safety net under all uninsured depositors of just those two banks, Silicon and Signature, but not everybody else. Where did that go? Uh, they claimed at the moment at the time that Silicon Valley was systemically important. Um, that's a, a Dodd-Frank uh, vestige that they triggered. And yet, um, most market participants did not believe the treasury when it said that they were systemically important. And when it came to um First Republic just weeks later, clearly they were not systemically important, even though they were larger, you could argue more important. So there, there, there was a, I I think there was a vulnerability opened up there as to uh, how the federal regulators handled the crisis at that moment, and that gap, that the vulnerability ha- has not been answered yet. We still have this large amount of uninsured depositors out there that we ha- uh, that uh, time has told us can flee in an instant, and, and they can uh, go to money this- market funds and they can go to to bid to fail banks.
0: Right and First Republic, when they failed, were the uninsured depositors not protected? I don't, I don't recall any stories about these uninsured. Depositors. No, they were
1: they there was a um, they were bought out of receivership by J P Morgan Chase.
0: Oh, so they, they were in effect rescued that way. Right, right. They were yeah, you, you may
1: recall for those that were that are following following real closely. Um, it was, as an interim basis, there was a consortium of uh, banks that got together and deposited into First Republic. I think it was twenty billion dollars to keep right. them afloat temporarily. Um, but in the end, it was uh, J.P. Morgan Chase that wound up absorbing the entire franchise.
0: Right, and we should also not, you know, end this without referencing credit squeeze, which is kind of analogous right now to Citigroup, which is like, you know, all these large banks, these systemically important banks all have large uninsured deposits, including large deposits from abroad, just like mm-hmm. city' uh, just like Credit Suisse did. And when Credit Suisse uh, started going over, under, right, I guess it was right after SBB, uh, the Central Bank of Switzerland uh, basically made a $50 billion loan to Credit Suisse. And uh, that was not enough to keep the money from leaving. And then they had, uh, in the end, United Bank of Switzerland, UBS, uh, the, the, uh, the government of Switzerland, they organized the largest bank to buy up the second largest bank and to calm things down. But there's nothing that says that... Uh, UBS can't face a a run from its largely international depositors. And, and, you know, when you think about it, if I'm a, let's say, a a Saudi uh, billionaire that has money in credit in UBS now, and I've just Mm -hmm. seen my money from Credit Suisse, I left it there and it's now in UBS, but I just saw Credit Suisse go down. Uh, one, I get worried that uh, UBS will go down, and uh, the, if other other people like me, if enough of us start worrying, will the taxpayer of Switzerland be willing to bail out billionaires from uh, outside of Switzerland? I don't think so. So we have this potential for the way this banking system is structured, yeah, um, because it's so debt finance. You know, it's. It's built on debt, on promises that can't be kept. We have the the, the potential here for a run on UBS, one on Citigroup, on J.P. Morgan, uh, on uh, because as you say, there's no the FDIC is about to go negative in, in terms of its balances. It's got 28 billion against basically 17 trillion dollars of obligations. If if you were if they were to try and ensure. Yeah. the deposits as well as the entry deposits. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, and, and let me just ask you one last thing, which is, you know, you and I started talking about this at BU uh, back in 2008 in the great fi- financial crisis we had. I think we put on a conference together. Uh, yes, right. right. And, right. you know, I've been pushing for limited purpose banking, which makes the bank, basically makes the entire financial system a mutual fund system where uh, there's no debt in the uh, in the banks. They're just uh, run running mutual funds where uh, they take in money by selling shares, and then they invest it uh, in whatever they're investing in. But if those investments turn south, the shareholders take it in the neck rather mm-hmm. than the taxpayer. But the yeah. financial middleman cannot go under because they're you know, they have no liabilities, they have no debts whatsoever. Um, so they they cannot literally go bankrupt by definition. And you never have the financial middlemen, the financial system collapsing, which of course is connecting lenders and borrowers and savers and investors. We need we need that that uh highway system, financial highway system to operate to keep keep the economy operating. So yeah. That so are you uh you coming around to this view that we should be moving to <laughs> the banking right I think it's happening endogenously as, yeah. as you said that money's moving yeah. to uh, mutual funds or money market funds or mutual funds yeah what's your view well, on this you,
1: you Larry, you very modestly uh, failed to mention the the brilliant book that you wrote on this subject Jimmy's Jimmy Stewart is dead is that yeah
0: that's is the, that right?
1: Uh, I, I assume that's still available on Amazon, right? Very inexpensive, yes. Very inexpensive, yeah. For your audience, uh, Larry did not put me up to that promo. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But uh, I, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, Larry. You, you can keep working on it, and I, I think if I have a, a few more surgeries, I might be weakened enough. But here, here's <laughs> the thing: I, I think we lose this, lose sight of the value that banks. Uh, of all stripes are supposed to play. They don't always play it, but they're supposed to play that. And that is the, the role of credit allocator. You know, banks are supposed to be a third party, independent, discrete allocator of credit. And that credit uh, is the combined um, deposits that are placed with those banks. Um, and, and having worked in a bank many years myself, I know that a, a large part of the bank uh, apparatus is, is focused on that. that, that. Do, you give a, do you give a loan to a crypto firm or do you give a loan to a farmer? You know, Do you, do you give a loan to a uh, bookstore or do you give a loan to a fossil fuel uh, operation? and uh that uh, that that opens the door to, to the esg argument but i don't mean to do that um but but i think the the the, uh, the um vulnerability of your uh, approach and I, and i'm warming to it a little bit uh is that who is going to play that credit allocation role going forward if not the banks and well, uh, and, that, and i think that's an important question to answer
0: so just my my quick answer would be that the the um, George Bailey from the It's a Wonderful Life, the movie which everybody sees in Christmas because can yeah. play it. It's uh, you can probably uh, watch it on YouTube. Um, uh, he's the small town banker that everybody trusts, and he's making the right decisions about how to allocate right. the money. But the book, the movie starts out with uh, a rumor that uh, uh, that the Bailey saving loans is is a uh, underwater. And it's uh, and everybody runs to the bank. And because George Bailey is is um uh uh you know Jimmy Stewart, and Jimmy Stewart's a great actor, and Jimmy Stewart can give a great convincing speech. He keeps all the he gets everybody to leave their money in there and actually even put put more money with him. Uh and that's great if we have George Bailey's uh, you know, if we had Jimmy Stewart's real honest people, um uh or if everybody, if if rumors couldn't um, bring uh, lead to panic, but but under what I'm proposing, the the George Bailey's would be working inside the mutual funds. They would be running money ma- They would be them the money managers of a fund that's investing in mortgages in Boston or mortgages in Detroit. Uh, mm-hmm. These would be closed end mutual funds that would be fully disclosed by a federal agency in real time so that there'd be a very good secondary market in their shares. So I think I understand, I hear what you're saying. We need to have that kind of personal re, you know, that the personal supervision of where the money is uh, allocated. But I think that would happen because uh, you'd want to be investing in a, in a closed-end a mutual fund that had a reputation for doing well. Mm. And that that, yeah. would, that that would be where uh, that um, uh, that role would would be played but anyway um, thank you so much this has really been incredibly uh, insightful for me and certainly for the uh, the audience here because you've brought all kinds of information to this discussion that uh, we you know we're not people would not otherwise know i mean i've talked to a lot of people that about the financial, this potential financial crisis, what's going on? They haven't had this kind of inside information that you've brought to the. To well, the thank director, you, Larry. So, thank so you. Thanks much. Yeah. And um, thank you for thank you for having me. Let's do it again. Okay, we'll be all out playing pickleball soon, I'm sure. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Thanks, thank, God. Just, thank you uh, to your audience. Bye bye.